Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Thanks for listening to the Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. I'm really pleased to bring you this week's episode because we get to talk to my friend Greg Warren. You've probably heard of him. He's a comedian who is from the St. Louis area. He's had a very successful career, and we talk about his creative process in this interview. It's really great. I hope you enjoy it. We actually went a little long, so the podcast this week is going to be longer than the actual show. If you'd like to hear the full, unfiltered conversation with Greg, just make sure you download the Rachel Zimmerman podcast uh, on the Odyssey app or anywhere else. So you get your podcast. Anyway, let's jump into the interview with Greg Warren. So, Greg, thanks for taking the time to come talk to me today. Yeah, no problem at all. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. I realized something when I was doing a little research for this interview that we have something in common. Oh, really? Yeah, we are both clarinet players or former oh, clarinet yeah, players, yeah, at man. least. Yeah, you played? I played. My my mom also made me play in yeah. a band. Um, I was not very good. I was uh, really? The, yeah, I was one of those kids that like I just didn't like to practice, but I wanted yeah. to be good in band. It was a weird dichotomy of like, well, how do you think this is going to work out? Because you're not yeah, doing what man, you need that's, to do. Yeah, uh, man, that's um, something I think I've been... I think every human being is guilty of at some point be like, well, I want, I want to be like this and uh, no, but I, I don't want to do the work associated right. with <laughs> Like, I, I mean, I think that's just sort of natural um, human instinct, right? It, it, you, you sort of avoid, <laughs> like I, I think all, eventually you're like, okay, I get it. I have to do this mm-hmm. to get to this. Uh, but it, I don't think it's natural, <laughs> you know. I was the kid who would we would have like a concert coming up, and I wouldn't tell my mom I needed reeds, and then I would have like the the cracked like squeaky reeds for the yeah. performance. It was bad. I always had to borrow reeds from Carol Grope Peter, who was like <laughs> shout out sat to Carol. Next to me. Yeah, Carol <laughs> sat next to me in the band, and I'd be like, I don't have any reeds, you know. I have like dreams all the time that I'm like I don't have reads or the read that I have is really bad wow that's yeah. interesting that you're still dreaming about the clear I know and I don't play like you know and yeah. it, was, it was part of my life I would say a pretty pretty big part of my life I didn't realize like you know I thought my mom just wanted me to be well-rounded which she did but also there are my mom read a lot of those child books or whatever my mom like development books yeah development books that's a better word for it um my mother wasn't reading children's books (laughs) she did but to me um but she there's something that's associated with brain development uh development and musical instruments i'm not 
proving that right now with my <laughs> stuttered speech. But uh, yeah, there, you develop quicker, I think, or there's something that happens in your brain uh, when you are learning to read music. And you know what's really interesting to me is uh, I took typing, another thing my mom made me take. Okay. In high school, I remember taking typing and I was immediately good at it. Uh, and it's because of the clarinet. It's yeah. Like you're doing the same thing. You're like looking, you're reading something and using your fingers. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. You know, I'm a good typer too. And I never made that connection, but yeah. I'm sure that's what it is. Absolutely. Um, I, I just thought that was interesting about you because I know you as a wrestler. Yeah. So you were doing that and you were in the band at the same time. I was. Yeah. I, um, wound up being a little more passionate about wrestling and uh, left the band behind, but I was I was pretty good at the band. I was like I was I was like I don't know first chair as a sophomore. Ooh, Rachel, that's that's really good. Doesn't really happen, you know. I don't think I deserve to be first chair. Well, how but did maybe it happen, I was. Then? Maybe I did. Maybe I did. I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I did deserve sophomore year. Freshman year, I was the second chair, and I don't think I should have been. Mm. Uh, yeah. How but, do you think that ended up though? What do you mean? Like, if you don't think you deserved it, like, how do you think you got in that seat? Did they see the potential in you? I think the person that was second that should have been there, like, had a personality clash with the band oh. director. <laughs> yeah. <And I laughs> That's think, always fun when and, a child and an adult have, like, a big and, personality yeah, and clash. I think, I think the person in charge of the band was trying to show them something, you know, <laughs> be like, hey, you're not as big as you think you are. Uh, but, yeah, I was uh, I was second chair. So uh, when you were doing that and you were wrestling in high school, did you have uh, interest in comedy that early? I think um, this would be a good time to just apologize to anybody that knew me in high school, <laughs> uh, especially teachers, uh, band teachers, uh, classmates. I was I didn't have an outlet for it back then, so I was loud okay. and, and uh, obnoxious and uh, trying to find an outlet all the time. But yeah, I remember I ran for, um, I think it was like student council president or some student council office. And uh, the only reason I did it was because you could get up and give a speech. And I just was like doing jokes and I won. And and then at one point, uh, Mr. Mendelson was the, the advisor, the faculty advisor for the student council. And after about a month, he's like, you really don't want to do this, do you? I'm like, no, not at, not at all. I just wanted to give a speech and make people laugh. Uh, it's like so, me and the clarinet. Like, you want to do it. You just want to be good at it, but you don't want to put in the work. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I if I would have known, I think if I would have known there's a path to stand-up comedy back then, I probably would have worked hard at it. Because I did work really hard at wrestling. Um you know, I, I look back, I could have worked a little harder or smarter, but I, I worked really, really hard at that because I knew it just made sense to me. And I probably enjoyed it more, but I, it made sense to me like, oh, you you do this and you get better. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I, I got that thing pretty early in wrestling. I think I got it right around freshman year, maybe eighth grade where... I, my dad was a wrestling coach, so I was like good. He was showing me stuff when I was a kid, and okay. I, you know, I had an aptitude for it. So all through little league, I was, you know, one of the best two or three kids in the state. I just just by because of who my dad was, because I was exposed to it. Um, I don't know if it was like me working hard, other than you know I showed up to the practices because my parents drove me there, and once I got in there, I did what I was supposed to do. 
But uh, I got beat a little bit in the eighth grade. And then in freshman year, I got beat by, I just got beat by some better guys. And I started to do this math where it's like, this isn't all luck or just happenstance. Like you have to go do things. You come up against your own limitations. I think every kid does in whatever they're, they're doing, you come up against your own limitations. And then I, in the off seasons, I, we lived right by Merrimack, the junior college. So I would just go up there mm. and work out with these college guys and learn all this stuff from everybody possible. And the next year I was better. And, and then I was like, oh, if you go do work on something, you actually get better. <laughs> and, I, you know, that, that was one of the first. Um, when I went away to college, I was a good student in high school, but I don't remember really working all that hard. I had probably, I'm sure I was some sort of ADD, but I don't remember working. And then I, my freshman year, freshman year of college, I was at the military academy. I went to West Point, and um, the academics were pretty hard. And I don't know why or how, but at that point, I was like sort of realized, yeah, yeah, you have to study. Like you put in this thing, and then work comes out of it, and you do you do well. Uh, so. Yeah, it's a long, long answer. Whatever question you asked 20 no, you, minutes ago. <laughs> no, you've had a really interesting <laughs> life to go from West Point to now doing comedy. How did you find that path to comedy, as you put it earlier? Um, I, well, I wasn't aware much of stand, like I wasn't a giant stand-up comedy fan. I saw Bob Hope at the Muni when oh. I was in high school I was I wound up being like sophomore class president or something, and there was this thing called Prom Magazine. I, it was it used to be this magazine in St. Louis, and then they came back or something in the eighties, as but they gave you Muni tickets to all the class officers in every school district in St. Louis. So I had Muni tickets all summer because I was a class officer, and I went to a bunch of Muni stuff, and I saw Bob Hope, and I liked it. You know, I still remember a couple of his jokes. And I was in uh, high school. We, me and my friend Stacy Wyland, who went to Fox, we were going to some national wrestling tournament in the summer. We were cutting weight. It's miserable. We were on a Greyhound bus to Iowa, and he had one of the first Walkmans, and he had a Eddie Murphy cassette. And I heard that, and I, I was like, it, I was like, blown away. Um, and then cut to when I was at West Point, I would like do impressions of the upperclassmen and uh to try to make my classmates laugh and then in in uh in college i worked at uh, there was a there was a comedy club in columbia called uh, deja vu i transferred to missouri after my freshman year and there's a, a comedy club called deja vu that was there for a lot of years and i worked there as a doorman and i saw a lot of comedy and i saw a lot of you know young comedians come through there and i was like i it's it sort of at that point I was like, well, maybe I could do this. I don't know. I, I, these guys seem so good. And uh, I tried it a few times in college. Um, I was like, became like an, a host for the comedy shows there. But it was this guy, Freddie DeMarco, who's a friend of mine. Fred uh, owned the place. And he didn't really want the hosts to do comedy. He, he just wanted you to get up there and be like, hey, thanks for coming, blah, blah, blah. And, but I was on stage and I got to meet the comedians and I think I did it a few times, but I was mostly focused on wrestling at school, so I didn't have the time to like do it regularly. I did it a couple of times, then I came back in the summers. I would go up to the Funny Bone 
you know, this is probably like in the late eighties and I did it a couple of times at their open mic nights. And then I got out of college. I thought I was going to be a comedian. I just didn't have the guts to do it. Uh, I moved to Chicago actually for a very brief time. My friend was in art school there, Matt McGuire, who owns uh, like big time restaurants in St. Louis. Louis, I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. owns Louis. Um, I went and stayed with Matt who was in the Chicago art institute. And I was like, I'm going to be a comedian. And then I just flipped out. I, I don't know. There was something, this girl that I was really serious broke up with me around that time. I had, it was, I was sort of without wrestling for the first time in, you know, 14 years of my life. And I just didn't have that purpose. Like it's weird when you're a college athlete or, you know, in my life, it was always this overarching goal of like, I have this thing to work towards, you know, that was like the driving force all the time. And it was done. I was done. And I didn't have that tension in the system. And I was used to a lot of structure. And I just was like, I, I don't know. I feel so disoriented. And I was like, I, I, I got to get a real job. So I, I moved back to St. Louis and interviewed and got a job at Procter and Gamble. Um, and they sent me to Houston, Texas, and I had a sales territory. And when I was in Houston, I did stand up off and on, sort of like as a hobby. Every now and then I'd get, feel like I, I was getting pretty good. Every then, then I'd be like, I don't know. And then they transferred me to Cincinnati after five years, and I did the same thing there for five years. But the last three years I was in Cincinnati, I was doing a lot of stand-up. And I felt like I was starting to get a little better at it. And I kept, I was straddling two careers. I was like, I don't know, I was just, had made quite a bit of progress financially at the the Procter & Gamble job. I was getting promoted and stuff. And I could see where, wow, you're going to have this retirement and you're going to have all this. And um, I... I don't know. I was trying to. I was trying to do both. I was trying to get them to transfer me to New York or L.A. because then I felt like I could do both. Yeah. And that was in the works, and it almost happened to New York one time. And then I don't know. Something happened when I was like, "Hey, you got to cut the court. You, you just take the leap." You know. Um, and I just I just went into the, you know, the boss's office and told them, "I'm like, hey, man, I'm I'm gonna just give stand up a try." And and that was 2001, and I was pretty sure at that time where I was like. Uh, gonna have to go back to selling something at some point. I, I I don't know. I felt like I just needed to get it out of my system um, and just try it and and have fun for a couple of years and then go back to being a real guy. And luckily, I you know I caught a couple of breaks those first two years and got better. And I you know I have haven't had to go back to selling uh, potato chips or peanut butter <laughs> since two thousand and one. Um, so how long have you been doing comedy here in St. Louis? Like, how long have you been St. Louis based? Um, it's off and on. I, like, so 2001, I went on the road for a year. Uh, I left Cincinnati where I was living with the Procter & Gamble job. Went on the road for a year. Just basically lived out of my car. St. Louis was kind of like, if I had a couple of days off, I'd come back here and stay in my parents' basement. Okay. And, um... That's where I got to know a lot of the people that are still working at the Funny Bone. And, you know, it was a really, really fun time. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I felt like so much freedom. And I was, we had a really cool scene at the Funny Bone. And then I, I moved to L.A., I think 2002, and lived out there for five years. And, um, yeah, it's, that's when I, like, first got on TV and did stuff like that. But I, I would always come back home and then... I think, I guess it was like 2006 or seven. I decided that I wanted to be based in St. Louis for a while. I felt like my writing 
I wasn't, I was good, but not great. And in LA, there's not enough stage time to really get great. It's, it, it felt to me like it's in these little small tidbits. And when you do get up on stage at the improv and I was getting, like I was getting regular spots at the Hollywood improv, which is like the center of everything. I felt like you, you, you know, you have to just do the the six minutes that you know and works well. And I wasn't experimenting a lot. And I, I also felt like my writing was becoming a little, little less personal, I, I guess. And uh, it was like I was just writing about. I've always tried to write about stuff that other comedians don't write about, like playing the clarinet or wrestling or stuff like that. And you know, certainly or peanut butter, uh, and. When I was out there for a while, I was like, man, I'm only writing about just like rental cars and airplanes and stuff that every other comedian writes LA about. Because I'm stuff. always on it. Yeah, I'm always on a or writing about being a comedian or an actor or acting class. And it's like it's some of that. I don't know. Something felt wrong about that to me. So I moved back home and I uh, uh, based myself out of St. Louis. And, you know, all, for the last 22 years. Where I live is important, but it, I'm also on the road for 200 days out of the mm-hmm. year, so it's not the most important thing. And I also, I was tired. I was tired. It's a long trip from L.A. to the Midwest, or a lot of gigs I was doing at the time were in the Midwest, and it's just a long trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I'm going to base myself out of St. Louis, and I lived here for five years, and that was a really, really important time for me. Like, I think I finally started to get better. I, I wrote about some interesting stuff uh I, I don't know i think when you do comedy you have this first maybe half hour to hour of material that just sort of comes to you because you've been working forever and you've been polishing forever and it's these are the things that are in you and then it's like that next hour is pretty hard it's like what else am i going to write about uh, and i kind of found that uh those five years and then i i got i don't know right around 2012 um I was like, I, I'm good. I, I had a Comedy Central special. I, that was a big goal of mine. I got on some late night TV at that time. And I was like, I think I need to, I need to get better. You know, I need to get, I need to have some new challenges and I, I need to sharpen up. Uh, and, or I'm just going to kind of, I could see where this is a fine life or whatever. Uh, but if I, if I don't shake it up a little bit, I'm going to get stale. And I moved to New York City for, Four years and in 2012, I moved there for four years, and then in 2016, uh, a few things happened. Um, I had kind of felt like I got out of New York what I wanted to get out of New York, and New York again at that point, I was in my 40s or maybe even early 50s. No, I was in my I was in my 40s, and New York is a it's like chaos. And the road is chaos, so just like going from one chaos back into another, and it was fine for a while. Um, but I felt like, hey, I wasn't making progress in a couple of areas. Uh, there's this one club in New York called the Comedy Cellar. It's the best comedy club in the country. And they passed me, but they weren't really giving me a lot of spots. And I kind of felt like the rest of the clubs I was doing, I was getting in spots regularly in a lot of places. But that was the one club where I was like, that that's like a giant difference maker. And I wasn't really getting up there, and I I had made made a few runs to try to get up there more, and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna. I've been doing this for a while. I, I had some friends that would live and die by whether they were getting up at the comedy cellar, and I could. I'm like, there's more to comedy. There's more to life than just what this one club does. Uh, so I was like, I think I'm gonna. I think I've gotten 
a lot out of New York, but maybe it's time to go. I had about six or seven months left on my lease. I was in acting class and getting some pretty cool auditions at that point. So I was like, I'm just going to give this acting thing another six to nine months. Just see how that goes. And then my mom got sick. Um, My mom got sick uh, in 2015. So around the end of 2016, things started to look like, you know, it wasn't good. And I was home already just to be with her. And then I just made a decision. I'm like, I don't want to be away from my family anymore. Like, and I... I'm like, I'm staying, I'm moving back to St. Louis. You know, I called the landlord or whatever and was like, hey, just do whatever you have to do, but I'm I'm not coming back. And my roommate, this guy, Ryan Beck, who's a really funny comic, I was he was a younger guy. And uh, I was like, hey, man, I'll pay you a bunch of money to just pack up my stuff, get a moving truck, and I'll pay you whatever you want. Just, just bring it out here. And so I just gave him a bunch of money. He brought all my stuff out, and I moved back to St. Louis. And I've been here... Uh, ever since, um, and I don't think I would move again. I, yeah. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm, I still, I'm really grateful for the New York experience and the LA experience because I have great friends in both places, and I go out and do shows in New York and LA. But uh, yeah, I I like it here, uh, and and again, it's a chaotic life. You're on the road 200 days out of the year, so. I would rather come back to somewhere that I really, really like and I really am around people that I, I like. And, I, you know, and I've found uh, a lot of friends in the comedy scene here, uh, some new friends uh, like Tim Convey. And I've got, uh, you know, I've got some roots here. And, yeah. and it's a, for me, it's like a pretty good situation for me to work on comedy. Whenever I want to go up to the Funny Bone, there's two funny bones now. There's one out in St. Charles, too. Whenever I want to go up there, they're like, yeah, go do whatever you want. Yeah, I was wondering, like, what's the scene like here? I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the same as L.A. or New York. No. But we have no. a lot of great talent here, too, I would assume. We do. Yeah, we have we have a lot of great talent. I mean, it's, it's certainly not New York or L.A. There's just every great comic that's ever lived is and has spent time in those two cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are there's some really funny people. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be around funny people. I'm wondering... Um, how do you feel about this kind of influx of actors and influencers? They're starting to get comedy special. I feel like I'm like, oh, I didn't even know you were a comedian. And oh, now you yeah, have a yeah, spe- yeah. How do you feel about that? Or how do comedians in general feel about that? If that's not too big of a question. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly who you're talking about. But, yeah, there are, there are people that aren't um, – polished or accomplished in the art of stand-up comedy uh and they still perform for a lot of fans worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line they are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. And there's st- there's still something p- kind of cool about what they do. It's it's I don't have a problem with it. I, I think it's fine. I I and I have like younger comics would be like. Well, it's not fair. That guy's not even a good comedian, and he's got a special, and he's got thousands of people to come see him. Like, yeah, but they are seeing him for a reason. And and I, I mean, if if what you want to do is just be famous, or you just want to be, then do that. And that's not easy either. Like, it's if that was easy, everybody would do it. Like, whatever that guy does on Instagram to get uh, a billion followers, or that girl does on YouTube to get a billion followers. If that's what you really want, do that and work on that. And that's, that's a hard thing too to do whatever character or, you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, but I happen to love like the process of like writing jokes, refining jokes. And then every two to three years trying to shoot those jokes on camera and put them out somewhere. I love that process and I wouldn't trade it. Uh, for that amount of fame, I, you know, I, I say that, and maybe if you threw it in front of me, I'd, I'd, I would. But I like I, I wouldn't. I, I love that process. Um, and if you don't love that process, uh, don't do stand up. Like do the try to get famous in a different way. Uh, but I think there's, I think there's something you're missing out on some of the joy, because the joy of like fame and the joy of going viral it, it it's real it's cool it's awesome i've had a couple of moments you know that's pretty awesome it's not sustainable though it's like no matter how famous you are it's like it's just not sustainable so what is sustainable are those like sort of uh, low levels of joy i think is the key to to uh anything artistic especially stand-up comedy it's like you know it's it's early on i would do like a tv show and I would be like, well, this is, I just did late night TV. I did the Ferguson show. It was so much fun. I just have to try to replicate that amount of fun every day in my life. And it's impossible. <laughs> right. You can't. It's like, so try to have fun with like, I have this, I, this old guy, uh, I don't know, three days ago, I did some gig in Iowa and, uh, they sent this old guy to pick me up in a pickup truck and I shook his hand and he like tried to hurt my hand and he was shaking my <laughs> hand. He was like, and it wasn't like he just grabbed my hand and shook my hand the way you would shake somebody's hand and squeeze hard. That's okay for me. He, like, manipulated his fingers, <laughs> so he tried to hurt my hand, and it, it just stuck in my head. And then, on the like, two hours later, I shook his hand again and said, thanks for the ride. He did it again. Mm. And, and so 
and I I didn't think much about it now, but I'm I, for the last three days I've been like, there's something funny about that. Like there's something funny about that that I got to figure out how to communicate why that's funny and turn it into something. And I got to sit down at Caldy's on Monday morning uh, with my tea uh, and figure out how to make that funny. And I probably got to do it for the next three months or three years or 10 years or maybe three days. Like, I don't know. At some point, I'm going to figure this out. That's not the same amount of joy as, uh, uh, you know, doing a TV show or doing my last special or whatever. But there is a small amount of small amount of victory, you know, like, ah, all, right, all right. I think I have figured out the three angles I want to hit. And then you go up on the open mic night on Tuesday night and I talk about it. And for the most part, they don't laugh. But there's that one thing that I said that they did laugh at. I'm like, OK, there's where we start right there. That's the thing about the handshake bit. And I can, I'm telling you right now, I don't know what, what it is. I don't know why it's funny or what's funny about it, but like, you got to have those, I got to try to find some small joy in, uh, what's funny about the handshake, uh, <laughs> and the old guy. Uh, it's really interesting to hear about your creative process like that, because I think a lot of people just think, Oh, you're a comedian. You're just naturally funny. So the jokes are just kind of like flying. Yeah. And I'm sure they are on some level, but then the work that goes into it too is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to call it work because I, like I had a real job and I look at people that get up and do something for eight to 10 hours a day. And it's like, it's not that, but the work is like, okay, let's get up like this morning. I usually try to, journal i'll just like free write for five pages and uh wow. i've been doing that for 25 years you know um not every morning but if i don't do it i know i didn't mm-hmm. uh and and then i sit down and be like okay if i have if i'm feeling good and i have uh an adequate level of concentration at that point i'll be like all right let's take four or five ideas and just try to improve on those ideas and the old man idea would be one of them and then sometimes you're like, I just can't concentrate. So I'll just be like, okay, well, then let's listen to, I went up last night on Tim Convey's show and did, I don't know, 10 minutes and I recorded it. Let's listen to that and see if you get anything. And I did, so I put that on and I was like, oh, oh, here's an idea. Here's an idea. Here's an idea how to make those bits better. There, there are some people that probably don't do a lot of like pen to paper. Um, and I, they're insanely talented. I am not one of those people. And those people, not many of them exist. Uh, the people that I think that do really, really well have some form of like, I got to check in on a regular basis and put some work into this. There's uh, a ritual to it. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. I've kind of found mine and I think you need to constantly refine it. But I, I sort of know I what I need to do to move things ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I really, really found it during COVID because I just didn't have anything else to do. Uh, but yeah, I got into doing a little bit of meditation in the morning, doing some journaling, then checking in with some exercises, then listening. Listening is the thing that I've uncovered in the last, I don't know, five or six years that I should have been doing all along. I mean, I, I always listen a little bit, but now I like actively listen. Sometimes passively listen is really good where it's like, okay, just put on, you know, the hour of comedy you did in Houston last week and do the dishes or do whatever and just have it on in the background. And it's weird when your mind isn't trying sometimes subconsciously. It's like, oh, oh, I know, I know how to make that better. Yeah. How often do you maybe like put on your friends or, you know, other comics and try to draw inspiration from that? Almost never. 
Yeah, yeah, almost never. Unless somebody, you know, asks me, will you listen okay. to this? Or now I watch, I, you know, just if you're a comedian, you're around comedy. You know, I watched uh, plenty of comedy this weekend. I was supposed to be doing a gig up in Iowa and it got canceled uh, because of the weather. So uh, I went out and checked out Tim's show on late Saturday and then Sunday night. And uh, so I saw, I saw plenty of comedy. I'll probably go to the open mic on Tuesday night at the Funny Bone and, uh, I'll see plenty of people and yeah, or, you know, I, um, one of my best friends is a comedian, the guy that I used to open for, he's been a writer for, I don't know, 15 years. He's was a big time TV writer and he's, uh, wrote on Mike and Molly and, uh, Gary Unmarried. He had his own project and, you know, he's been working on a, a TV pilot for an animated show and he sent it to me this weekend. And so yesterday I was like, okay, I need to go sit there and read his pilot and give him notes on his pilot. He helps me with stand up all the time. Uh, so I need to, and that's something that's like, I'm doing it for him, but I've learned over the years, I've done that so many times where it is an exercise in creativity. And it's like, okay. So I, I've kind of, you know, I spent two hours like really looking at his pilot and then reading, rereading it and being like, okay, what do I think is really funny? Do I have any ideas on how to make it funnier? Um, I do this thing for the Bob and Tom show. It's a syndicated radio mm-hmm. show that's been really good to me over the years. I do a report every Monday morning for them. And it's called the Warren Report. It's Tom's idea. And he, he called me, I don't know, three years ago. He's like, hey, I want you to do the Warren Report. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? He's like, oh, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I, just like the, I just like the Warren Report. I'm like, okay. So I just like to... And I sometimes I'm not crazy about the work because it's like I'm, I should be working on my act, but it's been really valuable. And then it's like a joke writing exercise every week. So this week, uh, just uh, two hours ago, I went on there. I talked about the history of trampolines and I just basically I don't know. It's about four or five hours of prep over a few days where I just first learned a bunch of stuff about trampolines, then kind of get it down to, okay, here's the 10 main facts about trampolines or 10 main historical points about trampolines. And then I just sort of let the joke writing mind take over. Uh, and you try to come up with what's funny about trampolines. Now, the hard thing is it's like for my, I'm used to like, Hey, what I perform is something I've worked on for years, you know, or months. And this is like, no, and you got to do this in five hours. You got to figure out what's funny about trampolines. And it's, it's, a it's a really good exercise to be like, okay, this is these aren't going to be the funniest jokes in history, but you need to have something, so just do what you can. And it's amazing after doing that report for a couple of years, it's like I can look at stuff now and be like, I'm going to get a joke out of that. And I, I didn't have that a long time ago. I got joke writing is really hard, um, and I a lot of people sort of want to know, especially the young comics. The good young comics will ask you about the joke writing process. The uh, bad young comics uh, will be like, yeah, I've been on stage twice and it went really good. <laughs> Can you tell me how to get an agent? I'm mm-hmm. like, you're asking the wrong questions. Um, and they'll be like, what do you do? I'm like, I, it's really hard to describe. All I know is like uh, picture continuum. On, uh, in your left hand, over here in your left hand, uh, there is a premise, something that you think might be funny. That's gold. If you think there's something that might be funny or is interesting or something that happened different that from what usually happens, that's a premise, okay? 
rarely you just see something that's like, that's funny. That's funny is impossible. That's interesting or that's different. Hold on to that because you can often turn that into what's funny. So on your in your left hand, you have this, and then, uh, you know, spread your arms out. Way over here on your right hand uh, is the finished product, the joke that you will perform uh, in the clubs, on television, on a special, on YouTube, or whatever. I can't exactly tell you what goes on between the left hand and the right hand. I can't tell you. There's a lot of tricks, a lot of processes, a lot of exercises. What I can tell you is uh, those two grow a lot closer together if you just do it. If you just do it a lot over 20 years, somehow you get from premise to joke a lot faster. Uh, and it's just repetition. And it's like, well, I don't want to write jokes about news stories because my act is not about news stories. And the jokes are going to get old really quick. Well, okay, but the skill, if you just write jokes about anything, because eventually you're just going to find this ability to take, okay, I take this premise and I know how to turn it into a you're finished gonna build joke. that muscle. Yeah, up. and even the, yeah, you, you'll build the muscle. Yeah, and, and but even the, like, the great joke writers, it's not easy for them either, you know? <laughs> like... My buddy Mark, who I told you this TV writer, he's like one of the best in the business in TV. And I'll call him on Sunday night and be like, hey, man, I got the report about trampolines. Let me tell you what I got. I mean, you got any ideas? And he'll give me like five ideas and four of them suck, you know, and one of them is really good. That's pretty good batting average, actually. Mm -hmm. One of them like, dude, thanks. That's gold. That's gold. So... It's it's interesting just listening to you talk about this, the amount of, I mean, you have to have the courage to do it in the first place. And then you have to have the humility to know, like, okay, I'm not going to hit on every single one. It seems like a weird balance of, like, just knowing uh, I'm probably going to get hurt here, yeah. but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, man. You're never, I mean, you're never, like, immune from humiliation. I, I uh, I've gotten now where... I'm pretty good, I, you know, and and most times if you put a crowd in front of me, I'm going to figure out a way to make them laugh. Um, but I'm not going to lie, uh, last Wednesday, was it was Thursday, I was in Maine doing an event for the Maine Trucking Association. They paid me a bunch of money, and I've done several state trucking associations and killed and it was not good, mm. Rachel. It was just like the audience. I couldn't get them. I couldn't get them. And I was like the whole time, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I'm, I've been doing this. I thought I was, I thought I'd put the work in and have the credits to make it so this never has to happen again. It hasn't happened in a few years, like where I was like, man, this is rough, <laughs> you know? So yeah. there, there is some humility. Uh, I tell people. It stinks almost as bad as it did when I first started, and it and you weren't good. But I get over it way quicker. You know, I was like, okay. I the next morning, I was like, all right. Well, I don't know what happened there. Let's, uh, <laughs> see, let's, you have no choice but just like move forward. Yeah, keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And then the joke stuff. It is. I think there's some guys that you know some of the greats. I've seen. You know, I when I lived in L.A. and New York, I saw plenty of them, and. Some of the guys, like I would watch Rock and Chappelle, they would kind of go up at the Comedy Cellar for like an hour, and they'd just talk for about an hour, and it wasn't great. Like, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, there's a certain amount of polish, and they have a certain amount of charisma. You're like, I can watch these guys. But what they were saying 
They're just working on new material. It wasn't great. But within that sort of hour of surfing, you'd see maybe two ideas and you'd be like, oh, my God, that is such a great premise. That's the thing that he's going to pull from the set and he's going to keep working on. And that's going to turn into, you know, that'll be on his next HBO or Netflix special. That'll be like one of the greatest bits ever. Uh, I saw that a couple times with, with those guys. And they, they have the courage to just go up there and surf for like an hour. They also have, they're Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, right. so the club doesn't care. The club and When they walk up there, lot. the place goes nuts. <laughs> so it's like, if I went up there, they'd be like, what are you doing? First of all, <laughs> we told you you can do 10 minutes, not an hour. Second of all, uh, you need to be funny. Um, so I, I do some of that. I don't think I have the courage to do what they do, but I do some of it on a, especially when I'm headlining, a, you know, I headline clubs most weekends all over the country. Within that hour, I'm going to, I call it stepping off the diving board. Like I'm going to try to step off the diving board three or four times and do something that I really am not sure about or I haven't done before. Now I got a pretty good sense of like, there's something there. Uh, now, like I did the old man handshake thing on Tim's show the other night, and there wasn't much there. You know, I, 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 I think you have to figure out, you have to crystallize in your head what is funny about this idea. That's, that's, that's one level, okay? And then you have to say, okay, I know what's funny. Now, how can I use words to make them see what I'm seeing? And I, it, usually if a joke doesn't work, it's, it's a failure in one of those. Hmm. Like right now with the old man handshake thing, I don't still know what's funny about it. I don't exactly know why that's funny to me, so I got to keep searching. Uh, but then I did. I've been doing this whole thing about Walgreens, and I had like a one funny idea on it that I've never tried before. I was like, this is additional. Cause I, uh, and I tried it last night, and I'm like, yes, yes. Go. And there happened to be this guy, this guy Jim from Chicago, uh, came down and was opening up for Tim, and he's he's a, he's a funny guy that Tim and I worked with in Chicago. And Tim brought him down, and after the show, he was like, "Hey man, was that thing new?" I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah," and he just said something. Well, I'll tell you the idea. So I got, um, without boring you too much, there's just I do like ten minutes on Walgreens, uh, and um, sort of the. I don't want to do the whole bit, but. The premise is like, you were going to Walgreens like 11.30 at night and, you know, the door's unlocked, you know, the, the lights are on and there's not one human being visible. It's it, like, it's upsetting. It feels like something <laughs> horrible happened right before I got there. Like, what, did a did a cheetah get loose in here and <laughs> devour everybody? Did CVS attack them? What happened, you know? And eventually, you'll hear, like, a guy in the back, like, I'm back here. Well, don't be back there. Be up here. <laughs> You're supposed to be up here. You're a business. The, the up here guy is what sets you apart from an abandoned warehouse, Walgreens. So that's, like, this intro of this sort of 10-minute thing on Walgreens. And it's been hitting really hard. And I've been working on it for a while. Um, and then I also want to say somehow I just – I'm kind of bagging on Walgreens for 10 minutes. But I also want to make the point that, like, Hey, with all that being said, I'm a Walgreens guy. Like, I am a loyal Walgreens guy. I've been going to the same Walgreens off and on in Kirkwood since I was 12 years old. It was Skaggs when I first started <laughs> going there. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Walgreens. Like, I, I think they're the best. I mean, they're, you know, 
I don't go to CVS. I mean, CVS, they're not as good as Walgreens. You know, they're not by, they quit. They don't even try. And you're like, well, how could you, how could Walgreens be better? They have one guy. I'm like, well, CVS has one guy for every five stores. They just have a guy, (laughs) he just rotates around. It's like, is anybody working here? Uh, he's at the Oakville store right now, but he'll be here in a couple hours. So just wait, you know? So I like, and, uh, so I did that and I could tell like, okay, somebody found it funny. And I think I might have something here. And Jim was like, dude, is that new? I was like, yeah, I go, it's new. He goes, it's like, he goes, it's like they're a district manager. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I go, they're a district manager, but they're not a manager. They're like a district checker is what they have. (laughs) And so I can't wait to do that on stage. You know, I'll probably do it Tuesday night if I find time. I'll go up to the Funny Bone and try that version on Tuesday night. And when I do open mic uh, on Tuesdays, some guys will just like, they're just going to do their five new jokes, okay, that are brand new. A lot of the youngers, I'm going to do my five new things. I will do the whole Walgreens bit with three little small changes and just throw that little CVS thing in there and the thing about the district checker and see if that works or I'll pause a different way on this. So like I, I tend to, and some of that, some of that I probably need to do more of like, just go up there with nothing and just surf like Chappelle and rock do. But I'm more like, all right, I have this thing. It's good. Now let's figure out what, you know, how can we add these three little slight changes in there to make it even better? Oh, yeah, another long-winded answer. <laughs> You're Whatever fine. you ask me. I can't believe ago. our time is already up. Uh, do you have anything you want to promote coming up? Um, sure. Yeah, I got. I'll be back in St. Louis in April okay. at the Funny Bone in St. Charles. Uh, it's at the streets of St. Charles. I think that's like, I don't know, right around April thirteenth or something like that. Thirteenth, fourteenth. I'll be out there. And we're also going to do the, we do it like an all ages show on uh, Sunday afternoon. So we'll do that out there. And then I got a special out. It's been out uh, for a little more, I don't know, not, it's probably eight months or something. It's on YouTube. It's called The Salesman. And uh, people seem to like it. Uh, Nate Bargazzi produced it. It's on his, his uh, YouTube uh, site. So hope people will check that out if they haven't. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. I really had a great time. Yeah, it's great talking to you. All right, yeah, yeah. thanks. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.